What is up team? Welcome back to the show. All right, today we have part two of the Q&A that we did not finish on Friday. So let's go ahead and get right into the questions. And right macro combo for women in their mid thirties. Do you want me to take this one? <laughs> yeah, as a woman in your mid thirties, you got this one. <laughs> not late thirties. So for listeners, <laughs> Jeremiah has apparently been telling all of the new clients for a while that I'm uh, coming up on 40, but I am in fact <laughs> 30, 33. <laughs> That that was to be fair, like a year ago. But <laughs> I, th- I I swear that I thought you were thirty eight for a long time. Uh, anyways, so anyway, so for the most part, your age isn't going to determine too much with the uh, macro split that you use. So just like you've probably heard on, I think we talked about this last in last week's um, podcast. We will kind of somewhere around 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight with protein. As you age, that does need to go up because muscle protein synthesis will decline with age, but you can just kind of skew toward the higher end of that 1.2. You don't necessarily ever need to end up at like one and a half, two grams per pound of protein. Um, The cruel thing is that as you age, your stomach acid also declines. So it gets harder to digest that protein whenever you need more of it. So um, anyway, you don't really have to go past the extremes on that just because you're in your mid thirties versus mid twenties or mid forties and so on. Um, And then the rest of it is going to highly depend on goal. So I don't even know if I can get into more detail on that without more, uh, information on what is the goal. Um, I, I think that the right place to start is track your food for a couple of weeks. If you are maintaining your weight, then your average over those couple of weeks is your maintenance calories. If you are losing, you're in a deficit. If you're gaining, you're in a surplus. And then from there, you can go, okay, what do I want to do from here? Do I want to lose weight? Do I want to maintain? And then you can um, split your macros up based on that information. Um, For fats, usually for women, you would want to go in the 0.35 to 0.4 range per pound of body weight um, if you are starting out at a healthy body weight. Um, If you're maybe closer to overweight, you can go a little bit lower than that. Um, And then the rest of it, if you're training, you'll want to get the rest of that from carbs. Um, If you're not training, you definitely have a little bit more play within the ratio of carbs to fat. It can be a little bit more based on your uh, preference, but that is how I would set that up. Yeah. Additional to add? Yeah. um, I think you really nailed that where it's not necessarily like I am this age. So like this macro ratio is going to be the best. There's so much out there that's like, like, do you, have you guys seen, like, graphic that's, like, this is, like, how you should intermittent fast based on, like, your body type or something like that. And it's, yeah. like, you're the wolf, you're the bear, or, like, you're the eagle or something like that. Like, that's all basically bullshit. But, um, yeah, making sure you're getting adequate protein is going to be one of the most important things. Where, from the Andrew's perspective, like, from the, the like, hey, these are about the parts we want to aim for, I think that's pretty spot on. I'll say, like, anecdotally, most we work with a lot of women in their 30s 
most of the time, the things that we have to skew is typically when those individuals hop on board, they will oftentimes be under eating protein, under eating carbohydrates, and over eating fat. Now, there's nothing wrong at all with like taking in plenty of dietary fat, but it is going to be the most calorie, like fat is going to be, fattier foods are going to be very calorie dense, and it will be easier to like push your overall calories across the day higher. Whereas, like the bone muscle tissue, you need plenty of protein. Carbs are going to help better do your training, better your recovery. And like we're kind of splitting hairs when we're getting to this point, but it's potentially going to be a little bit harder for your body to store like protein or carbohydrates as fat versus fat. Now, again, like none of that is to say you shouldn't eat fat. Like in some, some fat is going to be an important part of your diet. But if we're talking about like the diet adjustments we typically make when someone starts, and if we're looking at like a woman in her mid thirties, it is almost always like, Hey, we need to focus on pumping protein a little bit more. We need to increase the carbohydrate intake a little bit more and typically like Fat intake is a bit higher relative to the overall calories when you taking in to achieve your body composition goals. So typically that's like the macro that gets pulled out a bit more. You're on mute. <laughs> I was just gonna say that makes complete sense. And I know it, it's sort of a general question and, and to move on to maybe another general question in training, um, someone had, asked in, uh, how do you choose the right training program? And really the goal is aesthetic goals. Yeah, so with this, there's not gonna be a perfect training program. A lot of it's gonna depend on your experience. So I think like there's a couple we could look at, um, again, speaking to the mentorship and like we had this massive product we're putting together, like a, a course on program design basically. And within that, like what I was just working on last night was kind of like a, hey, for hypertrophy, we can do a lot of different things and it can work, right? So like we, even like we talk about like all these different stimuli and all these different phases that we could move through, but really for hypertrophy, like the few key things that we're going to want are A, you're going to want to make sure that the muscle group you are trying to train is the limiting factor within the movements that you're doing. Right, so think for example, like I always use the example, let's say that you're doing like jump squats, right? Let's say you're trying to grow your quads, so your goal is aesthetic, so basically your goal is to build muscle. Let's say you're trying to grow your quads. Well, if you're doing jump squats, like we understand that to actually stimulate new muscle tissue to grow, we need to train on muscle tissue to the point where it is relatively close together, about one to three reps shy at the point where like Fatigue in that, that specific muscle tissue is the thing that's causing you to stop the set. So think like if you're on the leg press and it's like, oh my gosh, my quads are just on fire and eventually they're going to like give out. Okay, that was the limiting factor for that set. Whereas if we look at like, okay, I'm doing jump squats or like bodyweight squats, a lot of times it's just like, A, I'm bored of doing like sets of 75 bodyweight squats or just my cardio system is the right limiter, right? I'm just, just tired, but it's not my quads specifically. Maybe my quads burn. I can definitely do like 20, 30 more reps if I really wanted to. Just my cardio system is so, so taxed. I'm just gasping for air, and that's the thing that kind of causes me to stop, right? So exercise selection is going to be a very important part piece of that. Um, and on a very similar note, again, training close enough to failure. So most of our reps, we're going to want to be about one to three I would really say for most people like looking for about one to two reps shy of form breakdown. So basically I couldn't zero, I would think of zero RIR or zero reps in reserve as the point where I couldn't do another rep with good form, right? So we want to typically like in most sets about one to two reps 
shy of that. And I would really say like for aesthetics, that is the biggest thing for most that like most people are missing where it's not necessarily that there's like these magical exercises there are, but there are exercises that, that again, like we're looking at like, again, like a BOSU ball squat where we're like trying to balance on a BOSU ball and we have a barbell on our back or we're like jumping. It's so much harder for us to like actually bring that specific muscle tissue to failure versus if we're just like locked in in a hack squat or like a leg press or something like that nature. So that's going to be one of the biggest pieces. Um, from there, then to kind of speak in generalities, I would say most people, honestly, most people can make great progress just following a four day a week upper lower split, right? And we're probably somewhere between eight to eight to 15 hard sets per muscle group. So that's taken to about one, one to two RIR again per muscle group per week. Um, that's really like within that like if we have those components there's not like hey this is going to be the best program for you all it's not like it's anything magical again about the upper more slips for most people that have lost from the volume but also plenty of time to recover um i would really say if you're like training more than four days a week and you haven't been able to experience significant muscle growth there's probably something off within your program and really even like a lot of people could haven't like trained for hypertrophy specifically or like i've been training for a considerable amount of time but i have seen very little muscle growth and I see great results even just training three days a week do you have anything to add to that andrea not really i think you pretty much covered that okay. I mean, I finding the right amount of volume go, go ahead no, I was going to say the same thing. Go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, I was, yeah. finding the right amount of volume for you um, is another important aspect of that. And then, like, fitting it to your lifestyle, too. Like, if you cannot train more than three days per week and you find one that's, like, supposedly the perfect uh, macro split, but it's, like, five or six days per week, then that's probably not the one for you either. But, I, I mean, you covered pretty much everything there. Yeah, with volume, so think of volume as number of hard sets per muscle group per week. It's so hard to give, like, this is what everybody should do. That's why even then, like, normally mm -hmm. the range people give out is 10 to 20. I said 8 to 15 there, which I think is a little bit more accurate for probably someone in this situation. Um, where that's, like, something that with our clients, we're constantly auditing and monitoring. Because it's just, it varies so much based on the person, based on your training history, based on like your lifestyle. And even like by muscle group, it varies so much. Like we'll have muscle groups that respond very well, but we may not need to do a huge amount of volume for them. Like Jeff Payne is someone where like he's done for the last year, I think he's done five hard sets for week for his quads and they just continue to grow. Um, Jody, you might be like in a similar camp. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's the case for you or not, but like, but well, there's other muscle groups where, hey, we have had to push the volume a lot more. I would again say, like, if you're in a place like this, I would invest in a coach for at least a few months to get a better baseline because there's so much of it that's just going to vary, specifically when we're talking about volume and even exercise selection, like what will work best for your anatomy, for your limb lengths, things of that nature. Um, but as a general guideline, like, those are kind of some good place. That's like a good starting place for what you're looking for in a program. And I, I do, you know, I'm biased, but I do like the idea of hiring a coach because, you know, the person that asked the question too, I know personally, and, you know, a coach is going to help you with technique, right? So you're like maximizing, maximizing those gains. And then another thing I would say too is, is being patient and staying consistent with the program. This person specifically, I know has, you know, maybe program hopped a little bit. And I think it does, it does take time. And, 
as, as boring that, sometimes. Go ahead. That's literally though, like what I was, that's why I just hired Brandon because I knew I was going to be like, okay, this week is this division of a lot, but I'm pretty sure next week that's probably going to change. And I would do the same thing. I found time for it. So from that, that's such an important piece as well. I'm sorry. I'm just like cutting in on, on that, but also like, that's another good point with the execution piece. There are so many clients that were doing more bowling before they started. When like once we dial in execution, you can get a much better stimulus per set. So typically then you get less bowling. So it's also something that's kind of in flux. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, moving on, we have two more uh, nutrition questions. One specifically, how important is the time gap between meals and snacks? Together. You want me to take this one? Yeah. So for body composition, uh, it's been um, pretty clearly shown in research that it doesn't really matter. Like you can do one meal per day. So like you're eating all of your food at the same time. Um, I think that that obviously all of us would definitely not recommend that. Um, you're only getting one protein feeding, but that's kind of like a tangent. But um so for body composition, it doesn't necessarily make a huge difference with the spacing between meals, but for your digestion, that's going to make a huge difference. So usually I'll recommend between like two and a half to five hours between meals. Um, if you're getting somewhere between three and five meals, that usually ends up being pretty close to where they're at anyway, if you're like fairly evenly spacing them throughout the day. Um, and and that gives your body a time to like digest everything and like just be at rest for a minute before you take in some more food. So I think if you space them too close together, you can get to this situation where you're just like not really fully done digesting your other meal before you're eating more. And so you get a lot more bloating and gas because of that. Yeah. And then I mean for muscle growth your protein timing is going to be a little bit more important as well, right? So we know that what determines whether we grow muscle tissue or lose muscle tissue is what we call net protein balance. So basically think of your muscle as being made up of protein, right? And like, of course, it's like essentially using different amino acids within protein, but like for simplicity, think of your um, muscle being made up of protein, right? Imagine it's like this wall and we're like, we have these two different, let's say there's a person on each side of the wall. On one end, we have this person named muscle protein synthesis, which is just a weird ass name for a person. On the other end, we have muscle protein breakdown, right? One person is adding bricks to the wall, or let's say like proteins to the wall and building the wall bigger. And we're like looking at this wall as basically a muscle. The other person is taking bricks away, right? And that's muscle protein breakdown. So at the end of our, the day, um, end of the day, we eat whatever time frame we want to put on it. Like our net protein balance, hey, did that wall get bigger or did that wall get smaller is what will determine largely whether we build muscle or lost muscle. Now, of course, there's a lot of other variables like your training, things of that nature as well. Um, so within this, we know that we can't, like when we consume protein, when we consume the adequate bolus of protein, we increase the rate of muscle protein synthesis, right? So that guy laying those bricks is but laying more or quicker, right? On the flip side, when we go a long period of time without um, without taking in protein, that rate of muscle protein synthesis is kind of going to come drop back down, right? And over time, hey, depending on what we're doing throughout the day, rate of muscle protein breakdown might be elevated, right? So to build as much muscle tissue as possible, 
it does make sense for us to try to, so typically after about three-ish hours after protein feeding, we'll see that muscle protein synthesis kind of come back down to a baseline level. So it makes sense for us to want to consume another bolus of protein to elevate those levels once again if our goal is maximizing muscle growth. So for most people, if we have like an adequate bolus of protein, um, and really like in speaking in generalities, that's probably gonna be somewhere between 25 and 45 grams of protein, depending on the size of the individual. And we have that spread out across like four to potentially five feedings with two and a half to I would say like four hours between. We'll probably be in a pretty good place from uh, the perspective of stimulating muscle protein synthesis. Now, and that's where like if we just ate one very large meal, we and if we ate all our protein in that same meal, we still wouldn't be elevating MPS muscle protein synthesis as frequently as if we had that more spread out across the course of the day. Now that said, for like maintaining muscle tissue, is that as important as if we're trying to grow? Probably not. That, but I mean, like if your goal is to build as much muscle as possible or continue to add tissue, then I would say that 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 aspect is going to be important. Um, that's really the only past that, like we can look at like how carbs impact your training, your recovery ability. And as a listener of the podcast, you probably heard us talk about those aspects quite a bit already, but I mean, it would be a good idea to get a good amount of carbs pre and post-workout. But past that, like, I would say like there, uh, when we're taking in our carbs, when we're taking our fat, it doesn't matter quite as much as the protein spacing aspect does. Yeah, we want enough time in between for amino acids to, like when you eat amino acids spike, but we want to make sure that that falls all the way back down too, right? Like I think that for a while there were people like drinking branch chains all day long and then they realized that you actually need that to fall back down to baseline in between. So you need that time. Yeah, yeah. It's um, There's a study where I think they had people do either they consumed a 25 gram whey shake and one large bolus, or they had them do like 10 pulses of 2.5 grams each. And across the same time frame, they saw a much larger overall increase in MPS with the, the big bolus versus the small pulses. So that's, that's the thing is again, like, even if we did, it's not like, okay, I ate, um, I ate all my protein in one serving. So that's my, my levels and MPS are elevated, like much, much larger. It's kind of like, okay, we hit the threshold level we need to hit. MPS is elevated as high as I can get it. And that's not going to change between like this much larger serving of protein versus this adequate serving of protein. It's still like we're going to reach the same peak. And then again, regardless, within about two and a half to three and a half hours, it's going to come back down to the same baseline level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, I'm always impressed how you guys completely geek out on this stuff. It's sometimes above me because I could, I, I don't have that knowledge base, but impressive nonetheless. Thanks, Jody. Uh, what else we got? Yeah, last question. Um, this is coming from a parent. When tracking macros, do you think it's important to explain to kids the why in weighing and measuring? A question that this person often gets is if she's worried that measuring and weighing in front of her child would create a poor relationship with food for her in the future. I'm going to defer this one to you. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to take this one? <laughs> and Nigo, I, yeah, I don't. Explain this I, to Anigo. <laughs> Anigo is more jacked than me. I'm, uh, anyways, yeah, I'll let you guys take that one. <laughs> uh, I 
I think that I might have a little bit different view on this from a lot of people um, because I, I've gotten this question before too. To me, I just don't make it a thing. Like I'm going to weigh my food and I just like, don't make it weird. <laughs> I, I think like those same people that might think that this is like ruining your your kid's relationship with food are also going to be like measuring out their things whenever they're baking, like scooping half a cup of flour. Like that's totally normal. That's how you do it. So to me, I just don't make it a, a big deal. And I, maybe it would be a little bit different for me if I had girls, but I just, um, I don't think that that is something that should be a negative to weigh out your food. Um, anytime that we've talked about it, it's just, I put it into terms of I'm making sure that I'm eating enough. And I don't say like, I'm making sure that I don't eat too much or I'm making sure that I, you know, don't gain weight or something like that. It's like, I want to make sure that I'm eating enough to fuel myself. I want to make sure I'm getting big and strong because I just worked out or something like that. So to me, if, if you make it a big deal to where you're always saying things like, oh, I'm on a diet or I need to lose weight, then that's obviously going to end up being a little bit problematic. I, it, this is also just like, of the time that I grew up, but my mom was constantly talking about dieting or like, and we, if she was on a diet, it was like, okay, we're having baked chicken every night for, <laughs> for this month. And um, then if we weren't, then it was like um, hamburger helper or whatever. But for us, like we're just focusing on eating mostly whole foods. And we talk about basing our meals around protein and some veggies. And then if you have those bases covered, then it's okay to fit some other things in for just the enjoyment aspect. But um, to me, weighing your food is not any different than tracking your finances or weighing things out when you're baking. Well said. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, coming from the psychology aspect of it, you know, one of the things that I've always learned, especially working with children, is if they don't ask, right, you don't need to explain. And I also feel that with adults, right? You don't need to give that energy or you don't need to necessarily explain yourself or measuring your food. But with children, if they ask the question, then you answer it and you don't need to go in great detail, you know, just as you explained. And that usually suffices. But I think not making a big deal out of it is exactly the, the way to go. I have 10-year-old twins. They've never asked me about food. We don't talk about food. You know, it's not, it's not an issue. They see me weighing. It's never, it's never even been a question to them. Um, and if they asked, I would give the same answer. You know, I just want to make sure food is fuel and mommy wants to, you know, um, uh, make sure she's got enough energy for the day and leave it at that. Usually that suffices for children. Um, and then that's it. You don't need to go into more detail. If they don't ask anything else, you answer the question, you move on. Um, but I think that comes from other people's maybe insecurities or issues, um, them worrying about you raising your child or any of that stuff. But I think it's just not giving it any power. And also, you know, for me, a huge emphasis is to not comment on physical appearance or looks, you know, sometimes it's hard because, you know, your daughter comes down in a dress and you can't help but say you look beautiful. Um, but I think, you know, making sure you're not giving an emphasis on 
a high emphasis on that stuff. That's that's how I handle it. Yeah, as the least qualified person to talk about this, um, what I'll say is like what I see within our community of clients is very cool. Where again, I'm not a parent, but we do work with a lot of moms who have children, and it's so cool to see like from what I have seen, most everyone in our community that has kids, it's like a, what they have, what they're doing seems to be like inspirational, exciting to like, their daughters are very focused on getting strong. Like, mom, I want to like be out in the gym with you. And like, I always re- encourage the same, cause this is something that comes up a lot on like the initial call that I have with clients as well. Right. Where we can look at it from two different perspectives of like, yes, it could be like, I have to weigh my food because I'm doing this to, um, because I really hate my body and I want to lose fat because I hate the way I look or it can be like, I just want to, like you both said, like, I want to make sure that I'm well fueled. I want to make sure that I feel absolutely amazing and strong and like can do all the things that I'm capable of. I feel like this is a very sensitive topic. I think you made a good point as well, though. It's like, it could just be other people's projections. I also think it's helpful to look at what's the alternative, right? Yeah. What if you don't get into tracking? What if you don't, and I'm by no means saying that there are some people like we were talking about on our last call. I just had a client lead, uh, that decided that it wasn't the best approach to continue. We, this was something we had usually decided because she wasn't in a good place to track her macros mentally. And we had the conversation like, Hey, I want to do what's in your best health. And like, it is a hundred percent. Okay. It's like, this isn't the time for that. Right. So I also don't want to like ever feel like we're saying like, Hey, everyone has to track macros. Everyone has to weigh their food or anything of nature. But like, from a personal example, my grandma um, for was constantly like the yo-yo dieter. She was also very unhappy with her body. Um, now, and it was like always trying a different diet, things of that nature. Now, my dad, that very much carried over my dad, like his relationship with diets, his relationship with food was the exact same way. Now, my grandma never used my fitness pal. My grandma never tracked her macros. My grandma never was like busting out the food scale. But that still carried over, right? So it's like, I think it's in, like, if this is something that you can do to really understand how to better fuel yourself, how to have better energy, how to feel like amazing, give your body just the fuel that it needs. Like what's the alternative? Like is not doing that necessarily. Like I would also look at like on the flip side, like, and again, I'm not very bold, but just to speak on this, I think it's a grain of salt, but like, what's the current example? I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I would approach it. And and I love the idea that you're also being a role model. You know, it doesn't have to be looked at yeah, as exactly. a negative way. Yeah, just because you're weighing it doesn't inherently make it disordered. I think that people will look at one example of parenting where, like, the the parents and kids are eating a ton of processed food, not paying any attention to the amount you know, the standard American diet overweight and not blink an eye at that, but then look at, (laughs) I'm weighing this. So that's inherently unhealthy and going to project this like negative, negative um, relationship with food onto the kids where it's like, that's, that's so much better than the alternative in my, in my view. Yeah. And, you know, I can be a a bit tell it like it is at times. And (laughs) I can't help but have that thought too. You know, if I'm measuring my food, I'm also not telling, I'm not like commenting on you getting a second piece of cake, you know, mind your own business. (laughs) That's, 
I think basically like it's all about the value you assign to it, right? Or it's all about like the perception you have of it, just like anything else in life. It's like if you grew up in a household where your parents consistently track their finances, like, and they educated you about, maybe they didn't educate you about that, maybe they did, right? But like, is that something that's inherently bad or inherently good? It kind of depends, right? If your parents were always like, damn, we're so poor, we can't, or whatever, yeah. or it's like, hey, I want to make sure that we can provide for our family, and that's why I do this, right? Like, I think like just it's so much about like what you assign to it and the perception that you create about it. Yeah. Cool. I think no matter what, it's a sensitive topic all around. But Absolutely. yeah. Um, cool. Well, I think that is all the questions we have for today. Did you two have anything else you wanted to add? No, that's it. I just I do question potentially if we can go a podcast without uh, my quads coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. We'll, um, we'll make it a goal for next time. Perfect. All right. On that note, as always, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you guys next time.